0: We try to fill the Insight Myanmar podcast feed with loads of thought-provoking and informative content. But before we get into all that on this episode that follows, we just want to take a moment to express our heartfelt good wishes to all of you listening at the moment, wherever that happens to be, knowing how challenging it is in these strange times during the coronavirus pandemic. In trying times like these, we all can use a bit more goodwill in our lives. So on behalf of the team here at Insight Myanmar podcast, I would like to say, in the traditional way that Metta is offered, may you be free from physical discomfort. May you be free from mental discomfort. May you not meet dangers or enemies. May you live a peaceful and happy life. And may all beings be free and come out of suffering. And with that, let's move to the show.
1: Aggressive containment and mitigation, the number could go way up many, many millions. Uh,
2: to be isolating patients, emphasizing social distancing. Wuhan, uh, the confirmed
1: the coronavirus outbreak is now a pandemic. That COVID 19 can be characterized as a pandemic. In Italy, one of the worst affected countries. And, and supply business supply, supply chains, chains are being disrupted around the globe. This combination of people
0: and those who are like, confirmed,
1: the coronavirus outbreak is now a pan pandemic. Change practice, for sure. yeah, we it's, uh, will realize, uh,
3: see a, an opportunity in this situation.
1: Please
4: make your compassion Whatever. and kindness Come on. to the it people. Is good that we are all
1: looking out for each other. due to COVID-19 the Maria become more, more supportive of people. they can certainly this can use this time to to grow in them. kick out your negative minds people can become closer to each other
4: sending meter to all over the world all over the universe you feel, uh, uh, see a change an for sure brightest and less Work hard more and more
0: so
4: for standing loving kindness. People
1: can learn how to love each other, how to love, seeing new horizons.
5: We do see some positive aspects of this corona crisis. we in the all world. sitting in we one see boat. that In a sense, that brings people also closer together, people getting closer <laughs> together and watching out for each other. We have more time for our families, for the community, and Time to meditate. Please
1: make your compassion and loving kindness. It was kind of actually very warm and very, very kind of death. Stabilize the heart. This reminder of this uncertainty of life where we don't know. See what we can do and what we cannot do. What we can accomplish and what we cannot. Remember peace in the face of suffering
0: what happens when a pandemic explodes and disrupts our world from top to bottom? Until just a few months ago, that's probably a question none of us thought we'd ever have to answer, except maybe outside of a B-rated Hollywood script. Yet today, it's everyone's reality. Much of the current news revolves around the many dimensions of this question, addressing the more obvious financial, social, and educational impacts, and forced changes to professional and familial obligations. Yet the most profound dimension of this question is rarely discussed. To what extent is our life open to disruption? This gets into our attachment to things being a certain way and other things needing to not be that way. The degree of our aversion to fear and anxiety and other negative emotions and going still deeper, our need for stability and independence. But while lay life gets disrupted in a myriad of ways, one might expect that monastic life would be somewhat less prone to disruption given the very nature of what a monastic life is. Monastic discipline prohibits many activities that make up the worldly life. So when those things aren't possible, their lives are not disrupted. But the makeup of a monk's mind is no different than that of a layperson's. One does not escape attachment merely by putting on robes and shaving one's head. Coming up, you're about to hear a very special episode in our ongoing COVID-19 in Myanmar series. The third program in this series The monastic edition tells the story of five foreign monks, all of whom call Burma their home. Although outwardly, they all might seem quite similar. After all, they don saffron robes and shave their heads and adhere to the same teachings. Their individual experiences captured in the tales that follow highlight a diversity of experience, an outlook on the current situation. And yet, in spite of those differences, some common threads do emerge through their tales. Their palpable Dhamma wisdom gives them a shared perspective on these troubling times and is surely a result of the dedication and commitment that these speakers have held. Before we play the interviews, I'd like to take a moment to highlight some of these common threads. We hear some of these monastics stress that they do not go out into the world at all, regardless of whether or not there is a pandemic. And they go on to remind us that they are not completely immune from the disruptions impacting daily life. For example, they do not lack loving and devoted family members who in many cases cannot now see or care for them. Additionally, four of the five monks had travel plans either cancelled or forced upon them, and had to adjust to this unexpected reality. Rather than complain, however, they've used these circumstances as a means of bringing the Dhamma more fully into their lives. One way is to contemplate instability, a core element of the Buddhist teachings, and realizing that it is unavoidable. This is nothing new, we are told. And this is a persistent feature of life no matter who you are and where you live. It's just that when things are going well, we usually choose not to see it. But now in these times, seeing it is unescapable. So what should we do with this truth? According to these monastics anyway, the answer is simple. Meditate. Practice formally or informally according to this or that technique. But whatever you do, devote this time to practice. Then. By observing this anxiety from the surrounding instability, a seed of insight may sprout, reminding us not to worry about what we cannot control. Focus where you can exert change, and where you can't, let the experts and authorities take charge. Finally, all this leads to the scariest, most terrifying potential outcome of this whole scenario. As more than one monk caught himself binging on his phone's news feed, and then examining what was behind the growing anxiety, the answer became clear death, a massive death toll across society, the death of one's loved ones, and the death of oneself. So suddenly, they realized that the imperative practice of the moment was reflection on death. And through this effort, as you will hear, several of them found their Dhamma insight deepen. At this point, enough from me. I invite you to listen to some engaging stories with impactful Dhamma wisdom shining throughout. The following piece is by Uviveka, a Canadian monk ordained under Sayada Utejania at Shwayumin Monastery. He got in touch with us to discuss his current practice and thoughts, as well as how the onset of the virus is affecting his monastic life.
3: I live in Myanmar. I'm a French-Canadian monk. And I've been staying at Dhammavibadja and Shwayumin Monasteries. Uh, since 2013 and the teacher here is Sayadaw Utejaniya and I have to say I'm locked in here at uh just in Yangon and uh, quite happily locked in with uh, um, our teacher Sayadaw Utejaniya and some friends uh, we're about 30 people Here a mix of uh, monastics, uh, female, male, and uh, lay people as well. So a full fourfold sangha. And uh, it's very quiet. Um, So we've been locked in for a few weeks together. And I think this place, this meditation center, was uh, a bit early in uh, responding to the COVID-19 and partly that's because of uh, Sayadaw here who's very active he's looking at uh, reading a lot of news and uh, so he's you know very well informed and uh, he was taking all the, the precautions very early on and he's kind of managing all the workers and just the the lockdown here so making sure everybody is safe and clean and and we can just continue with our practice so I'm very grateful for this situation. There was a cartoon I got a few days ago and it's uh, images and the, so the first image is um, a Zen monk so he's sitting in meditation and then the next one is says a Zen monk in quarantine and then it's exactly the same image so that represents quite well how things have changed here in a way uh, not much and uh, it's practice as usual. Um, it's actually easier to practice for, for a lot of us and um, because, because it's just so quiet and nobody's coming in, nobody's going out. Uh, so it's a, it's a real retreat time and conditions are, so, are just so supportive like for example, uh, Saadah being uh, with us for uh, breakfast and lunch every day, uh, we get to to talk a bit and uh, with him, and yeah. And then construction projects are also on hold, so there's less noise, and even the air seems uh, pure. There's less burning of crash in the uh, village and also much less noise, I mean there's almost nobody left in the village it seems, so it's very quiet, usually there's a lot of, uh, you know, loudspeakers with music all, all the night and now it's so quiet, so pollution is down, the noise pollution and the air pollution, and it's very quiet, uh, very good conditions for practice. One of the things that become very uh, obvious with this situation is how things are just so unstable, and for myself this means that I had to uh, to change my plans, I originally intended to go back to Canada at the end of March. So by by the end of February, beginning of March, already the situation with COVID was starting to get a bit uh, more crazy, you could say. People were, you know, fearing maybe a, a pandemic or something like this, a world situation, a uh, world crisis. And then, so I slowly started to doubt that I'd, I could go back to Canada. I wasn't sure, is, is it a good time to travel? So I, I, I waited quite a bit uh, until I think mid-March and just reading the news a lot Talking with people, uh, my family in Canada, with friends, getting a pulse for the situation there as well and, and decided I would cancel uh, going back to Canada and uh, it was a pretty big deal, a big decision because uh, I was also scheduled to teach a retreat there in April. So it meant we had to cancel, and people who had already uh, also planned to go to the retreat would have to be informed that the retreat was canceled. So it wasn't an easy decision not to go, but I think it was the wise thing to do, especially thinking of my parents, which are older, and I would have stayed with them for some time um, especially arriving in Canada, it would have been the first place I would have stayed, so it would have put them potentially in a dangerous position uh, of, you know, contracting uh, this flu, a dangerous flu. So I decided to cancel everything. My first reaction to the COVID situation was first I thought it's not why is everybody so panicked Uh, it's just a flu I mean people die I mean how many people die of flu every year I think it's something like 600,000 people so I thought this is over people are overreacting then after a while it, it, it got obvious that it was maybe perhaps a bit more dangerous than I, you know, anticipated. And then, uh, so thoughts of, of, of death, uh, you know, uh, arose in, in the mind, uh, just thinking of, should I stay in Myanmar? Should I go to Canada? And what does this involve, staying in Myanmar? If, you know, if it really, things become bad, uh Many people get infected in Myanmar. I mean, we know the health system is not the best in the world here, so it 's not a place you want to be sick uh, severely sick. but then going back to Canada, as I mentioned earlier, also had all uh, had some dangers potentially so Yeah, the thought just came in the mind. Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I guess... to die would be the worst thing. (laughs) And... uh, and then, okay, can I, you know, how... What if that happens? Then what? And... being able to uh, just accept that even on a, just an intellectual level, I think, okay, well, uh, if I die, I think, yeah, that's, it's, I mean, it's natural to die, right? So, and you have to die someday, somehow. So this, this acceptance really helped me to have a, a more calm approach and a clear, clear mind. To, towards the situation. And then also thinking about other people. Actually, everybody has to die at some point. So uh, it is very, uh, it, it can sound morbid, but in a way it's, it's just so natural, right? And, um, but nobody wants to die. That's also very, very much in our nature to want to live So I I think from the onset of this uh, crisis, I just dealt with, okay, the worst case scenario, I die and okay, maybe a lot of other people will die. Well, okay, I can live with that (laughs) in a way. And that made it much easier, I think, on the mind. And after that, it could, just uh, deal with the situation better. I, I know here we, so nothing changed so much uh, as I mentioned before, but I think one of the, the things that, that's, that's very useful is that we have uh, activities. So there's, uh, there are physical activities like uh, Qigong happening every day people can participate and uh, we have a garden, so we're we're very lucky. Uh, we have a bit of green space, we can do our exercise there, do some walking. And we have uh, projects like a library, we're creating a new space for the library and working on that every day. And also study groups, we're studying suttas and also vinaya, a few monks and and nuns together. Um, so, I guess in a way, it's just t- to keep busy with wholesome activities. So something that creates that's interesting for us. I think it's very uh, very useful uh, at this time. Not to just um, perhaps uh, wake up if you, if you don't have you know much to do. Uh, you're just uh, locked in, in isolation. I mean, this is how monks live most of the time. Is We're just in isolation. So, in a way, we're very well uh, prepared to, to survive in these situations. And one of the things that's very useful is making a, a schedule for yourself. So, waking up at a certain time, then, you know, having a breakfast at a certain time, even. Then having some activities and setting limits. So I guess it's a little bit like a maybe a diet for your food. So certain things you wanna you wanna eat the wholesome stuff, and you wanna keep away from the unwholesome foods. So it's, it's, I think it's the same for the mind. We wanna feed our mind wholesome thoughts, wholesome activities, keep it busy with things that uh, make it happy and interested and uh, as inspired as possible and keeping the uh, intake of information that can stir up fear, anxieties, um, for example news. uh, I know for myself I've been intaking a lot of news, uh, much more than, you know, in the past few years. And uh, I've had to cut down quite a bit because I I saw that the mind was getting absorbed and that um, the mind states uh, it was producing was... uh, There was quite a bit of tension there and even fear or anxiety or... Sometimes we read, we see the reactions of uh, some presidents in the world, and then we, we get quite angry. And uh, so we can be careful with that. Just regulating, you know, trying try to put more wholesome activities for our mind. And, and if you have a practice, a meditation practice, that's amazing. And there's so much Dhamma happening online. And this is an example, but meditation uh, groups online are many and uh, any time zone you're in, you can find one, I'm sure. So I would encourage you to practice meditation, of course. This is very useful. So my basic encouragement is, uh, in a way I could say, is take care of yourself, and if you're able uh, to do that well, and you have extra uh, energy, and uh, then you can take care of other people. And uh, it's a great time for community and reaching out to our friends and family and uh, letting them know we're we're there, and that we care, and just getting in touch and supporting each other and also of course there are many organizations and uh, all the healthcare workers are doing so much work uh, beautiful work and and many people uh, need help many organizations so the, that's also something that we can uh, invest our time and energy in and uh, it's very very positive and also, there are some reflections that can be quite beautiful to, to have at this time. And uh, one of them comes from, from my teacher. We have these uh, great discussions at the breakfast sometimes, and, and then we're just saying how nobody wants to die. And uh, this is very obvious, right? Everybody wants to live. But then, Syedah, he, he asked this question, why do we want to live? Why do we want to live? And this, you can, you know, play around with this uh, question. Um, but for me, it raises another type of question is, what really matters most for us in life? So at this time where our usual, Uh, life schedule has changed radically and things seem a bit uncertain and so things are shaken up a bit and uh, we can perhaps uh, see an opportunity in this situation where we can reconsider how we we've organized our life and uh, how we've built it on certain values as well and it's a time, it might be a time for, for some of us, if you feel inspired, to ask this type of question, kind of going back to the essence of what really matters uh, most for me in this life. So it's, it's quite a beautiful question to ask, and I hope it's helpful. I hope um, everybody can take care of their health, and also of their mind to keep a, a wholesome mind and keep up your practice your meditation practice it's a beautiful gift to the world at this point point. and if you can take care of others of course do that and also we'll be uh, sharing perhaps more dhamma um, uh, concerning the, the COVID-19 uh, If you want to check the uh, website At Ashin Tejaniya.org Ashin tejania So that's A-S-H-I-N-T-E-J-A-N-I-Y-A.org. You can check for uh, updates there On the uh, COVID uh, Dhamma So thank you very much
0: See you. We get a chance to check in with Usarana, a monk from the Czech Republic who was leading meditation retreats in New York and Florida when the pandemic hit. He was allowed back in the country, but had to spend extended time in quarantine before being allowed back to his monastery in Légu.
2: Before I was quarantined, I actually visited the USA I was invited to teach a seven days, I guess, a seven days meditation course in um, Florida and another seven days meditation course in Fresno, in California. And um, actually already before I left to the U.S., I think it was on the 8th of March, I think so. So before I left to the U.S., I was actually asked by the donors, whether it is okay for me to go because there may be problem with the pandemic. And I said, no, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I just wanted to go to the U.S. I've never been to U.S. in my life. So, so of course, I was like ready to, <laughs> to risk pretty much anything. But at that time, uh, I think like U.S. had almost no, it already had some infections, but almost nothing. And uh, in Czech Republic, I think there was also almost not, nobody yet. Uh, in Myanmar, nobody at all, so uh, I, I had the feeling that, uh, like, everything that's related to me is, uh, is more or less clear. So I uh, accepted the invitation and uh, we literally jumped into that. Uh, we went to the U.S. and as I came to the U.S., I actually taught doctors. My students were doctors. They are Burmese, but they are medical doctors in the U.S. And uh, they care for COVID patients so when when i went there to these uh, retreats i was like very careful to make like these rules and they were very good they're very uh good in following all those rules and wearing masks and uh, cleaning hands and i cleaned my hands and they cleaned their hands uh, several times a day and um, they were very kind and they also told me when they had a case you know like uh, they said like now i uh, i'm now caring for this problem about covid 19 in Fresno, it was a little bit uh, more interesting because in Fresno, I actually I met uh, with with one of the like superior people uh, who are taking care of the COVID-19 problem in in the USA. He's also Burmese, and he uh, he actually is uh, in charge of uh, like deciding about like who will be distributed masks and these hand sanitizers and all these things and he is in charge in of, of like making important decisions in i think in the in the california state or or maybe in the town i'm i'm not sure i don't know these details so it was interesting to talk with him about about the situation what are they doing and what difficulties he had he, he almost like didn't have any time to sleep he had to dedicate like all of his time to uh, to to the problem many of the, of the students were doctors, uh, some of them were not doctors in the COVID-19 area, uh, in some other field but uh, some of them were and uh, I don't think anybody of them actually cared for the COVID-19 patients directly when it would be like serious, but they had some kind of contact because they had to go to the hospital and uh, take care of some things. Somehow I didn't get any details? Maybe they were shy to tell me details about what they exactly do with the patients and whether they actually see them and uh, what is actually there. So uh, this was a very interesting experience. And uh, as I was there gradually the cases were more and more and more and more. And it uh, affected me also because I had to go and teach in New York also. But uh, as you know New York uh, was one of the most uh, critical areas. Uh, so uh, I didn't get to New York at all apart from flying through uh, as a transit and um, even some donations of some things for me some useful things whatever were sent to New York with the idea that I'll just uh, be donated those things in New York and I even when I came when I arrived at the airport of New York and we were waiting for another airplane to well I think Dubai then theoretically the donors could come to the airport and give me those things but they were actually scared and they didn't want to leave, uh, leave their house. So this was I think maybe 23rd, 24th of uh, March, I think so. Uh, then at that time already I got news from our monastery in Hlaigu, uh that the Seado is seriously afraid that our new yogi who came from Slovenia that he may be infected because he came from foreign countries so I gradually started to learn how yogis who are who are all foreigners in our center were totally scared of that disease although there was like uh, almost no case in Myanmar at all there was just one case of a foreigner just already uh, like how to say contained and um, he apparently didn't uh, spread anything so anyway people were so scared in the Lago area And um, the chief monk of the monastery, uh, not only that he was scared uh, of the Slovenian uh, uh, yogi, but he was very uh, much determined to uh, literally get rid of us as soon as possible. Then, uh, so I made the decision that, okay, that all of our yogis will be moved to a different monastery, which fortunately was arranged for us by my official teacher as a monk, monk teacher preceptor. And uh, so, while I was not there, all of the yogis, all of the students, all of the workers and everything, both people and things, all of them were moved far, far away from the Hlaigu place, while the Seda, while the chief monk of the monastery, totally locked himself down. So like, all of that part of the monastery, the other part where we didn't stay, was like totally locked down, so there's like not even way to tell him like goodbye or something. Like, he totally like locked himself. He's also a little bit older, I think he's like around 50, between 40-50, so I think he was quite, quite afraid. So uh, by that time, I was back in Myanmar, I had difficulties to return to Myanmar, although I already had visa, I have a multiple visa, so I can always travel as much as I want without ever applying for a new visa uh, while abroad. So when I came, uh, I was actually told, like before I came to Myanmar, I was told, so you need to have a certificate from a doctor that you are healthy, that you don't have any of these symptoms. And we got two certificates, we got two certificates. One, exactly the form that they decided, and another form uh, created by, by the doctor. And we got them from that chief doctor from uh, who takes care of the COVID-19 cases in California. And uh, it was very, very unpleasant because when we arrived at the airport in Myanmar, they told us that these forms are not enough, that I also must have blood, uh, no, n- not blood tests. Uh, I think they said that I need to have blood tests, and uh, then they explained that I need to have tests for COVID-19. So whether uh, it's both, uh, that's a question. Uh, am I correct? I think I'm correct that uh, blood test is not necessary for, for COVID-19. And... Um, the problem was that I didn't have the, the test. I didn't have the, the form that they created that night when I was in the airplane while coming to Myanmar. So the new decision uh, started at the moment when I was at the airplane just arriving to Myanmar. So there's like no, uh, no way in this world, maybe not even by psychic powers, no way in reality to create that kind of form. And uh, they didn't care about the fact that this uh, rule was decided at the time while I was in the airplane. And uh, so, so they like stopped me there and they wanted me like just to go somewhere else to fly to some other country. And I was thinking like, what? <laughs> it was quite, quite unpleasant. Uh, so uh, the uh, funny thing is that even if I knew that I need a blood test, and I actually already presumed it while we were in the U.S. The chief doctor told me that there is no way to get blood tests, there is no way to get COVID-19 tests because it is prohibited. Only those who have a serious case and it's really suspicion, only they were allowed to have tests and at those days. So um, then when we were there at the Myanmar airport, uh, we called that doctor and uh, that doctor explained to the doctors who were like we came to the Myanmar airport and all of the people from that airplane were led to, uh, to a hall and all of those people came to that hall, they had to sit down at that hall, they, everybody had to give passport, including me of course, we gave all our passports, uh, they checked uh, temperature of all of us and uh, we had to have a little paper filled with some of our information and that we don't have those symptoms. Uh, we did all that. And then they found out that I'm a foreigner and that I'm like no way national or spouse of a national and so on and so on. So, so they explained that I need to have these forms. And uh, I gave them these forms. And like all of the people from the airplane were waiting only for me, like for that case. like They were... Um, they were basically interrogating me what happened and uh, whether I could go to other country and couldn't I go back to the US I cannot go to the U.S. because I'm not a citizen and at that moment already, the U.S. has declared that only nationals can come to the U.S.A. So there was no way for me to come back to the U.S.A. So they said, well, but you're a national from Czech Republic, so you can go to Czech Republic. And I say, no, I don't have any sponsor in Czech Republic. Like, <laughs> If I went to Czech Republic where it was already everything locked down, you know, like totally, extremely, strictly locked down, I cannot imagine how would I actually like survive in Czech Republic." without money, you know, so because I of course don't touch money and uh, the airport is far far away from any city in Czech Republic so there's like no no, thinkable way how could I actually like somehow like survive so uh, I explained this to them and then uh, thanks to a very very nice very important lady in uh, in Myanmar, Dot. Titi Wen, she actually called uh, one of the person who's like uh, seriously responsible for, I don't know, like the Ministry of Health or the main chief uh, health uh, whatever, then uh, she called to that person and then that person called to this doctor uh, who was like holding us in, in that big hall, there were, like policemen and uh, people, I think nobody with the gun, which was interesting, policemen, people, doctors uh, pe- people in like total uh, what's this, PPE protective uh, equipment, Uh, there are all all these people, different people, you know, uh, to make sure that we do not run away from that hall. So there was like the chief doctor in that hall, and that chief doctor received a a phone call from some important person, I think in the Ministry of Health or something, and uh, then suddenly everything is okay. It's uh, like this. Just, okay, yeah, okay, so you can stay. Are you okay to stay in quarantine? And I say, yes, <laughs> yes I'm so happy to stay in quarantine. And I say, very well, okay, so let's go. <laughs> so immediately, just, you know, Asia, was still like this. And uh, so immediately we are going to the bus, and uh, a bus uh, is taking us to a monastery in Myanmar for quarantine. Everybody has choice, either a monastery or a hotel so hotel costs money, very much, uh, a lot of money so for people who don't want to spend money, they would go to a monastery, but some people uh, go to monastery simply because there is no advantage, there is no benefit in being in a, in a hotel, because the quarantine in uh, the monasteries is so comfortable, so you know, like free in terms of quarantine, that uh, it is uh, really, it makes really sense to, uh, to be quarantined in a, mon- a monastery. The people uh, actually receive meal three times a day although monks would always uh, uh host uh, lay people uh, and meditators and uh provide them with food only in the morning and uh, noon but for quarantine measures uh everybody uh received actually meal three times a day even i uh, i was like suggested to eat dinner so that of course i refused And um, I was very well cared for, the monastery quarantine is so comfortable, of course everybody is in in their room and they're not supposed to talk with the other people in the other rooms, they're not supposed to visit the other people in the other rooms, I think they certainly break the rules but I personally didn't experience anybody like coming to my room from the other people in the other rooms and um, there are pretty much no rules, like people were playing their guitars and singing and shouting and laughing. Like it didn't feel like being in a monastery at all. Uh, but I, uh, I felt that I'm following all rules. And uh, so for me, it was fine. The, um, the bathroom actually was uh, behind the rooms and it was uh, collective. I don't know how you call that. So like everybody the men, it was It was divided into men and women, so we were like in a different building and in our building only men were and also some of the resident monks stayed in that same building and uh, in, in, for the down, downstairs there is uh, one big water tank with water and uh, uh, we all uh, from those lower, lower rooms were supposed to take bath in that water tank. So uh, there I would see uh, the, some of the other quarantine people and uh, They're like smoking and talking and just uh, enjoying their time So that's where we actually came into a little bit of contact like uh, not physical contact But more of like eye, eye contact would be there Then uh, thanks to this uh, thanks to this like outlet because it was like outside I could follow the veneer rule that I'm not supposed to sleep with layperson for more than three nights but the exception is if I leave the room uh, before the morning, so uh, that's what I would do uh, at least once every three and three days uh, to uh, really keep up all of those rules. The permission was there that if somebody comes from outside and brings things, then those things can be given to the uh, quarantine people. So uh, donors would come to that monastery; they would bring delicious food, uh, and the food would then be brought to me by the workers. By, by the quarantine uh, workers are like sp- uh, specifically uh, assigned uh, workers who were uh, wearing this uh, protective uh, equipment and personal protective equipment PPE and uh, they uh, would uh, every morning and every evening but just i think the first week and then only every evening they always came and uh, measured our temperature so they would like knock on the door i would open the door they were ready already with the thermometer and they uh, measured my temperature. So I always asked them about the temperature. It was funny. Uh, it was really, really funny because they, uh, sometimes they didn't know how to work with the thermo- thermometer. So one time they sent like two young girls also like uh, clothed in the PPE and uh, those two young girls, they didn't know how to uh, operate the thermometer so they took that thermometer, they measured my temperature and my me- temperature, uh, it was supposed to be in Fahrenheit, was like 80 you know or 70 and I, I'm thinking like hey ladies um, there is something wrong can, can you please like check the battery and then uh, they would like leave and uh, so, some like uh, let's call them more adult, uh, I don't know how to, how to say that more adult people would come with maybe a different thermometer and they would measure me and uh, I got some uh, some humanly temperature result. So uh, this was <laughs> a really funny experience. Uh, I also got a lot of work. Uh, I was uh, almost always online speaking with people about Dhamma and uh, still sharing things. I, was up- I think I was uploading things to YouTube, uh, some of my English videos and in Facebook and uh, trying to resolve some problems with uh, Kapya that I had on the way and uh so so i i was like always busy i came with uh, with this uh horrible jet lag you know like whole night totally awake and whole day totally totally asleep and uh it it took me like one week or 10 days to get used to the the correct time because there was like no reason to change it because there like nobody to talk with like no problem like anytime I can be awake anytime I can sleep because there's like nobody to communicate with uh, in in the in the real world then uh, after the 14 days in the quarantine in the monastery uh, I decided that I want to take another quarantine because it was so nice it's like so nicely free and comfortable uh, that I decided to take another two weeks of quarantine in the new temporary center to which uh, all of our meditative monastery uh, staff and yogis uh, had to move so we are now far far away from Yangon, a little bit over a hundredth mile after Yangon. I think I'm not supposed to tell where we are now because it's a very temporary place and um, of course we uh, we are not now expecting uh, visitors. Uh, So I moved to that place and immediately I quarantined myself as a self-quarantine For another 14 days. Nobody asked me for that. Uh, I had actually a certificate from the monastery from the Yangon monastery quarantine. Uh, I got an official certificate that I'm healthy that I do not have COVID-19 and that was then officially given to the authorities of the region uh, where is the the new temporary monastery where I stay right now. So the authorities with that paper they allowed me to stay here so I took another 14 days of quarantine that was very successful, very nice it was very useful and then after that quarantine uh, I am now free (laughs) if you want to say but for me quarantine is actually freer than non-quarantine and uh, uh, so I'm enjoying my time I believe that I'm perfectly healthy and uh, the people here are fine the meditators meditate very hard they are really interested in the practice so uh, we enjoy the time I, I think that uh, whatever the difficulties I had, uh, they had uh, a lot of benefits. But I would like to mention that uh, that uh, many other people in Myanmar also um, were quarantined. And today, until today, there are various measures, cu- quarantine measures, and various reasons for quarantines. Myanmar is very, very strict on who is quarantined and who is not quarantined. So if if somebody has any reason to be quarantined, they are quarantined. Like there is no talking about that. And uh, like in uh, in Myanmar. Uh, quarantine in monasteries is actually very nice. Like the people care, uh, care for the quarantine people. They uh, the people get uh, medicine, and I I wanted a fan. I like got fan immediately. Uh, I wanted a broom, or I wanted something, and I just like got it immediately. Like there was no uh, no worries. Like anything I wanted, I would, I would just get while while in the quarantine, in in the official quarantine. So not it's not like something that you should. Try, <laughs> but uh, it's something that you certainly should not be afraid of. In Myanmar, it was nice. As I was in uh, in the quarantine, uh, in the official quarantine, I gradually started to uh, to get a little bit of information about the people's feelings and uh, the people's uh, reactions to uh, to the COVID-19 situation in Myanmar. And um, first. Uh, of course for me most important were the yogis they're my students i'm responsible for them they were so scared in the beginning that was incredible they were also afraid that maybe i have some contact with people from outside so then when i come to the monastery i could infect them so just like uh like in my understanding it was like too much you know like being afraid is okay like uh, we need to like use wisdom and we need to accept that there are some dangers but the way how the students were afraid, I think that was uh, over uh, over the uh, some irrational measures. But anyway, I was able to uh, to calm that down, and I learned from the Burmese people that Burmese people are really really scared. I learned that um, soon after uh, some of the first few cases appeared in Myanmar, uh, like the shops in Myanmar, the supermarkets were almost like empty. Uh, the streets were empty after my uh, official quarantine we we had to go and uh, search some things for our monastery some foodstuff with my assistant uh, my assistant would like carry the money and, and buy those things and i would just like tell him what's necessary and uh, then uh, we like the distance in yangon that would take usually 1 hour took like 15 minutes because the roads were like totally empty there would be like instead of 100 cars there would be like two or three so it was so easy, Uh, I think you call that commute Uh, it was so easy to to go anywhere we wanted and to just get get what we needed in the monastery and to go to the monastery people are so so scared like extremely extremely scared but uh, at the same time when it was about a monk when it was like about me or uh, when there was like a reason, then people like were totally opposite. They, like, didn't care at all. They some would. Uh, usually, Burmese people actually care masks, according to what I have seen and heard. But of course, I can tell only uh, about the people in in my in my circle of the people who care for me and uh, who who communicate with me. And they uh, always wear masks whenever they go outside, whatever they do. Apart from very rare exceptions, all of them always wear masks whenever they leave from their houses. Now in Myanmar, I think now there is a strict rule in Yangon that everybody must wear a mask uh, anytime they leave uh, leave from their house, uh, Do Aung San Suu even made a competition in her new Facebook profile, she made her first Facebook uh, profile, f- Facebook account, uh, and uh, she like within I think like one week she got like two million followers. And that's right, it, it should be like that. And uh, she uh, started like a competition on making masks. So she said, hey people, make your mask and take a photo of your mask. And those who will have most likes as the comment, because they were like posting comments with their uh, photos, uh, those comments which will get the most uh, comments, they will get a prize. What was the prize? I don't know, I, I didn't follow it well. Uh, but it was interesting that even the state councillor Do Aung San Suu uh, suggested to people to make their own masks, to sew their own masks and people also shared their uh, methods, how they actually sew their own masks and uh, all of that was in accordance with the rules and regulations uh, issued by the Ministry of Health of Myanmar. So the, this, was, this was a very interesting project. So today, uh, Myanmar people usually wear masks, there are strict rules for this also for me, I do not leave the monastery, so uh, I so far have yet to learn uh, how, how to do that, <laughs> how to wear a mask. But there is quite a number of people coming to our monastery time to time, maybe like once a week. I think in average once a week, one visitor would be coming to bring us food. And uh, they always come with masks, some come uh, like with masks and gloves also. So the, the people are really careful about the infection, they're really afraid. I, however, have the feeling that government thinks that they have it under control and uh, it seems that these days, as you perhaps know, all around the world people start to protest and they're starting to be fed up with uh, the with, uh, uh, stay-at-home uh, suggestions so uh, in Myanmar it's also like that so in Myanmar they do not do any demonstrations or, uh, and so on but they gradually start to come out of their houses the government gradually starts to uh, decrease the measures for employment. Uh, in the news, it seems to be really strict. But when I ask the people what they do and how they come, uh, how they like um, uh, travel and how they change, it seems that there is basically no problem. Like people want to go somewhere, they just go. Uh, people want to do something, they just do that. So uh, this might be maybe the majority. They certainly there there is apparently a group of people. There will be a considerable number of people who suffer a lot and a lot because of this, because they do not they like lost their jobs and uh, they do not have uh, resources for meal. But still, I see like Burmese people like Burmese people. They just do what they want. Like there's uh, it's I don't know whether I'm correct, but I. According to what I've heard about Americans, I think like Burmese people and Americans are a little bit similar in this, like if they want to do something, they'll just do that. And uh, in uh, Myanmar, this is just so so come on for any rules and regulations. And uh, so like after my two weeks in quarantine, we actually went by the street and we saw even uh, the street sellers, you know, we even saw like little tents uh, selling, you know, beetle and selling water by the sides of the road and they didn't have any protective measures, anything at all. It was uh, an interesting experience because the people are so poor, like can you imagine how the people are poor? They uh, literally eat that what they get into their hands, you know, like uh, whatever they, they earn from their salary that goes for food and that's what they eat. So if they cannot get salary, they cannot get money, then they simply don't have anything to eat. I heard that there's something like this already in the USA also. But can you ever compare USA to Myanmar? Like this, this, this is horrible. Like uh, some people are seriously poor and um, I'm a little bit happy that the measures are loosened. But of course, I hope that the government or the gods or anything, whatever, the people's good karma will, will prevent any serious outbreak. I would uh, really like to suggest that uh, when somebody is wearing mask, that they make sure that the mask is helping them. So instead of like removing the mask, which we see in Myanmar, like always, like if people want to speak, they just like remove their mask and just speak, and sometimes like completely they remove it, or or they put it down on, on their chin and they just talk, or they do whatever they want. So I think this is very funny because uh, COVID-19 can be spread also by simple speaking if, uh, if we are not too far from each other. So these preventative measures need to be well understood and followed. I would like to suggest that any of the listeners that if they wear masks, and I believe wearing masks is a very good idea, if they wear masks, that they're really careful and they remove their mask only by the little Strings at the ears, and they do not touch the mask in the in the middle at the portion which covers the mouth and nose. And as soon, immediately, as soon as they remove their mask, they immediately wash their hands, and immediately they wash their mouth. Uh, this this is one thing that uh, that I think is uh, is very important. And uh, I would like to wish everybody who's listening to this humble and uh, very ignorant sharing to be happy and healthy. Hopefully, to get all necessary food and clothing and whatever they need whether it be by support from the government or by a renewed job or a better job than before I would like to wish everybody that they get a better job more comfortable, better paid, more happy, more peaceful than they had before as soon as possible, possibly right now and um, that they are all free, that you are all free from danger from enemies, from uh, all diseases and discomfort, and that you are all happy, healthy, satisfied, and uh, sufficiently peaceful and supported so that you can progress on your noble path.
0: We now hear from Pabasaro Biku, a Polish monk who was originally at Mahasi Monastery in Yangon when the pandemic hit.
1: This previous year I spent in Myanmar with uh, with some other foreigner monks and uh, we were staying at Mahasi Meditation Center. We were doing the meditation teacher training course. So uh, we spent extended period of time in one place without moving. And, uh, and when it came to the virus situation, uh, I wasn't really keeping uh, track of the situation in Asia. I didn't really know how it's unfolding. And it uh, wasn't until the middle of March that we got some information from our friends that it's getting more serious and it's potentially going to be a long-term uh, trouble. That uh, uh, long-term difficulties also with traveling. And uh, at that time, we actually we had intention that we all were supposed to go to Thailand in uh, probably around April. And uh, when this information came, I also checked that my visa is due to expire in uh, just couple of days. So, f- with my friends, with other monastics, they could easily stay in Myanmar. But for myself, uh, quite a rushed decision and uh, quite a quick action to to make all the arrangements and. Uh, Leave Myanmar not to get into trouble with the visas and and the government. And when I arrived in Thailand, because there was not so much time, it happened that I got a secluded place in the mountains that was arranged by my friends. I arrived there and uh, the local government uh, after, you know, I arrived in this really nice for place, a secluded place and uh, everything was just uh, perfect for for this uh, condition and perfect for uh, a secluded solitary practice. But uh, after two days of staying there I got information from the local government that they don't allow uh, any foreigners to stay in that province, any new coming foreigners. So uh, my whole plan collapsed and uh, I had to find a place, and at that time everything was under lockdown, so um, it was a bit, kind of, a a, a bit of difficulty, but uh, in the end, I managed to find a place, I I finished the quarantine, and um, after the quarantine, I moved to uh, one of the monasteries of uh, Ajahn Chah tradition, so that's where I am right now. So, in short, yes, there were some small challenges and difficulties, but I wouldn't say that it was very, very, very difficult. And most importantly, in this process, uh, I experienced a lot of support and kindness of people. I was really um, very encouraged that uh, people, rather than being afraid or just uh, taking care of themselves, that they very much, they were ready to offer their uh, support in whatever capacity, whether transportation or uh, finding this uh, kind of a backup place uh, last minute. This year, as I said, it was almost like a lockdown. I barely left the meditation center for extended period of time, so that's part of our lifestyle, of um, monastic lifestyle, that we find a place that is suitable for the uh, present conditions, for the practice, and uh, we stay there, and apart from going alms round, we don't really walk around the city or, or do anything like that. So we are more or less used to staying in compounds of a monastery, now in this particular case, uh, uh, I, I really feel it's 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 very similar. Like apart from those, I actually, when I arrived at this really wonderful secluded place in the mountains, uh, and when it all collapsed, I was laughing. I was very joyful. I was very happy because I was I could see. Oh, yeah, it's. Uh, I just got invitation to stay here for like uh, one year in this very nice forest, and uh, all the conditions for for secluded practice are so perfect. And suddenly this information comes, and I was so happy that um, that this uncomfortable circumstance arises that uh, I will not be able to stay here, and that uh, something is pushing, and something is kind of that there's a circumstance that is forcing a test of patience and test of uh, how easily I'm able to let go of this good conditions to practice this nice secluded place and move to basically unknown as I didn't know where I'm going to stay. And uh, again, I feel that uh, the lifestyle of a monk, we are more or less training in this way. We are preparing for that. And, We also, with the the practice of mindfulness and concentration, with the basic practice of Satipatthana, we are more grounded to to deal with those uh, changing conditions easier. So in short, I I feel that our lifestyle is very supportive to to prepare us for any changing conditions. That... uh, when I received news that uh, I have to leave this very suitable, this very nice secluded place uh, that was bringing almost forcing uh, to to challenge whether I have enough patience, uh, whether I have enough renunciation and uh, enough capacity to let go of this condition and go into unknown as uh, I didn't know where I'm going to stay, I didn't know How am I going to get there? And uh, it's always uh, very much uh, unknown. But that's part of the practice that uh, being a monk, we try to renounce whatever is known to train ourselves how to put all all the effort, all the attention in our own heart and therefore try to balance our own heart rather than focus on the external conditions and, uh, you know, staying in this country or this co- or that country, in this monastery or that monastery. And the, the, that's the basics of the practice, the more we are able to let go of those preferences and our um, attachment to those changing conditions, the easier the practice flows naturally. And, I, I tend to look at it as a um, uh, as an equation when you have, you know, like X plus uh, Y equals Z. And of course, you have many variables. The more you can let go of other variables and just let them flow, the more possible is for you to get that heart to be one and pure. But the more you try to control other variables, let's say, I want to stay in this country, I want to have this kind of... Um, uh, uh, this kind of requisites I want to have uh, of, or for lay people I want to have this kind of car, this kind of wife, this kind of job. The more we focus on other variables, the less possible, the less probable is for us to get this uh, peace of uh, mind and heart. So that's, uh, that's the basics and fundamentals of the practice. And uh, I see that we have certain trainings, uh, all, all monastics, we have some preparation But in general, every meditator who's uh, serious about their path, they have this understanding and they have tools. And during this time, uh, I find it that those meditators who are more mature and sincere with their hearts, they can, certainly can use this time to, to grow in Dhamma, to grow basically being forced to stay in certain conditions and learn how to accept that we don't have a choice we don't we cannot control certain things we cannot go against the government we cannot go against certain policies we we just don't have a choice and then we can see how when we don't have a choice when we don't try to run away, escape and manipulate how actually it is, not that very difficult for us to adapt to new conditions to new uh, environment to new schedule to new uh, to new life and right now everyone is uh, more or less uh, experiencing a, a different lifestyle some people more some people less different and this capacity to adapt to change to to changing conditions is a result of of, uh, practice. It's what this uh, whole path is about. We are not able to control anything outside. We are not able to control our body. We are not able to control other people. We are not able to control the weather, the environment, the politics. We cannot control anything. And the more we are reminded of that, through the external conditions, and the less we try to control and manipulate, which is more in line with Dhamma, the more we can just focus on our own heart and more focus on our own reactions and response to those changing conditions. Here where I am, in, uh, this is a small monastery, and uh, there's just the two of us, me and the abbot, So there is not so many people, and it's also a small village, which is a few kilometers uh, away from the monastery. Uh, And uh, we do go for arms round. We do go. uh, We didn't stop during this period of time, not even for a single day. Basically, the the local community were the people were very very um, persistent, and they really say they. They so much want to offer food, and they want to offer us uh, rice that uh, they will not accept. That they, we will not come to the village, and uh, it was kind of actually very warm and very very kind of them. So we we just continue. We try to maintain uh, uh, social distancing, and we use the uh, the masks every day, fresh mask we uh, receive the food and go back to, to the monastery and also try to maintain the uh, basic hygiene. And in the monastery, well, that, that we don't really have uh, any visitors. So for for us, I feel this is what we hear for this local community. That's where we can do that at least we can um, go every single day and just uh, because Armstrong is such a profound and such a deep practice. It's like, a, it's, it's an amazing exchange that, uh, on one hand, people, the, the ladies they can open their heart and they, they open up to so much humility and so much uh, generosity. And uh, it's really such a beautiful Thing to practice daily, and for us, it's uh, it's a daily reflection. We always reflect whether we are really worthy to receive the offering, whether we are worthy to receive the food, uh, or in fact any requisite from the supporters. And that's also very humbling and very touching. So we still maintain that daily, and. Uh, uh, I consider that a very important aspect of the practice. And then during the daytime, we don't have visitors at the monastery. We don't have uh, our daily uh, chantings or anything. We also uh, rather just uh, separate the chores that we have to attend to in the monastery. So when it comes to the local community and the local situation, that's about it. And uh, I did, uh, during this time, I started reaching out to some communities. So we have, um, there's one um, community of lay practitioners in my hometown in Poland. It started during uh, my first visit to Poland uh, almost uh, six years ago. and. Uh, there has been people who uh, who has been practicing during uh, all those years right now. And during this uh, uh, situation right now, the group uh, more or less grew to around 20 people who are practicing meditation daily and uh, doing reflections on their intentions, on their morality, and trying to... Align their life more and more, more and more in alignment with the teaching of the Buddha. So that's uh, one group, and it's uh, from what I heard, uh, it really depends. Some people basically they still go to work, they they do the same thing that they did, um, they just have some restrictions with uh, with shopping. And, and with going out, and and some other people, um, yeah, I heard that some people lost their jobs, and it's quite difficult. And not in particular from that group, but uh, I've heard that it, it did happen. So, that, uh, that group of people, because they already have been exposed to the practice uh, for a couple of years, so they do have more diligence and more um, uh, inspiration to practice during this time so my uh, intention was to uh, offer them an opportunity as they uh, they don't have the uh, possibility to go to any meditation center or there there actually there is no monks in Poland so uh, I uh, decided to offer them this uh, Uh, regular uh, dhamma sharing and uh, and uh, guided meditation they get a lot of uh, inspiration from that and uh, that's what uh, keeps them with the motivation to practice and uh, there's also another group in uh, italy also a group of um, practitioners i met a few years ago during my visit in uh, italy And likewise, it was a group of uh, five people, but during this uh, situation it grew to around 17 right now. So they also, uh, they are more mixed in their experience. Some people practice a bit more, some people just started. But just because of this whole uncertainty right now, they are more willing to investigate the, the teaching, the practice, and uh, it's, it's quite, actually, this is the good side of the whole story, that, that people are starting to, to notice, to, to be aware of how all the things in life that they normally depend on, that they normally um, rely upon, are unstable, are, are so easily changed. Whether this is the job or or, the the context with friends and family or or their health, it's all just uh, so fragile and so um, beyond our control. And people, some people from, from those two groups, they came to their own reflections of that, they heard from the other uh, practitioners that there are tools that help to stabilize the heart, that help to build more stability even with those uh, unstable conditions, and they become uh, inspired to practice. And uh, again, uh, I, I would say that for monastics, we are more used to this uncertainty. We we don't uh, store food, we don't have much requisites, and we don't uh, use money. So very often, even if we do uh, go to another place, we basically arrive and we have to start over everything. You know, we have to rely only on the generosity and kindness of others. So we we are more prepared and trained in a way to, to accept uh, changing and uh, uncertain conditions and uh, I find it really interesting that many people through these conditions right now because they had to adapt to something completely different. Some people ended up staying the whole family at home and they suddenly uh, have to spend more time than they used to. um, Many 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 years like maybe the first time in their life that actually they spent so much time together. So, of course, there are frictions, there are things that come up and because there's no escape uh, in some uh, cases. There's no possibility to go outside or to do anything else. So, of course, those frictions are uh, helping us to see our own um, troubles. And those people who do practice, who meditate and who have sincerity to reflect in their hearts, they do make uh, amends to those changes. Like one of the meditators, who's actually quite experienced in the Goenka tradition, uh, we shared with him a bit of how, how to move his Vipassana practice also to different objects and different areas. And eventually it helped him to open up more to his parents and to start to like He said that in the past his father would ask him to do some chores and he always would respond with a lot of anger and with a lot of stubbornness. But because right now they have to be more close to one another and because also of this reminder of this uncertainty of life, when we don't know, some of us may actually not survive this whole circumstance. So those reflections of... of uncertainty of life and of and of his own previous anger helped him to to reach out to his mother, to reach out to his father and to start doing more good deeds to to, to help them, to serve them, to really with a heart of humility and a heart of humbleness to express his gratitude for all the years that he was raised and he got supported by them. So I I'm also witnessing this kind of good and very, very encouraging stories of uh, sincere practitioners. I always feel the most important is to see what we can do and what we cannot do, what we can accomplish and what we cannot. So in this case, there are a lot of things that are beyond our control right now. We don't know how long the situation is going to last. We don't know what are the next uh, steps in uh, different countries and what are going to be our living conditions or restrictions. And as far as the life is concerned, it is, of course, uncomfortable and it's not something that we want in our life. But as uh, far as the practice is concerned, this is actually a really great opportunity. and. Uh, If we take it as a temporary, impermanent path to really learn how to let go, to learn how to take responsibility for our own hearts and our own reactions. So let's say we have news tomorrow and there's some new restrictions. How easily and how quick are we able to adapt, to adjust and to let go of whatever was earlier? And maybe next week there's another change another unfolding how again how quick how fast we are able to adapt and let go and of course the easier we are able to let go of whatever else was before and adapt the more comfortable the more at ease we feel in our own hearts and whether this is right or wrong with the government well if some of you are really in the government are and are in control and have any power, any capacity to make any changes, that's wonderful. But for, for us, for monks, like I'm very, very grateful that uh, we are more or less we're completely not involved in politics. So we know we have no uh, control over this side. We only accept whatever conditions are being presented and take all the effort in our own hearts. And the more and more someone can take this attitude to, okay, if I have any control over something, if there is possibility for me to bring any change for myself or for others, bring any wholesome, skillful, and good change, then certainly act upon that and do good deeds and do good actions upon that. But if we cannot do anything, it's Perhaps better to just stay in our own hearts and stay with our own individual practice and use this time really to to sort things out in our own smaller circle. How we can rather than involve in what is happening in on the country scale, how can we sort out things that are happening in our own household, in our own family? How can we be more flexible, more kind, more gentle, more compassionate to our uh, friends, to our neighbors, to people that we interact with on a daily basis? And how can we be more embracing, knowing that everyone is right now going through different challenges and stress? How can we give rise to even more compassion and more kindness so that we are really at balm like a water that is uh, cooling down whatever fire is uh, occurring around us. So I really wish that everyone can take this kind of attitude to really bring some kindness and goodness uh, in their own hearts and in their environment.
0: We hope that you're enjoying the special podcast series. Bringing you updates during this time of a global pandemic, from Burmese monasteries and meditation centers, as well as from meditators around the world. As we are all sheltering at home, experiencing the anxieties associated with these challenging times, we hope that this content helps allay at least some of your concerns, and provides insight and inspiration. As you may have heard, we diverted our limited funds designated for the normal sit-down interviews to bring you this series, which has put a strain on our finances going forward. We know this is a difficult time for many and that there is an added financial strain as well. That being said, we appreciate any amount of generosity you are able to give to keep our engine going. While all of our podcast volunteers are meditators who are either volunteering their time in full or providing substantial discounts, there is still a baseline financial need to cover overall expenses. Whatever funds we are able to collect now will be used solely for producing these new episodes. Any additional donations will allow us to increase our run. Thank you for your support. Stay safe and be well. We welcome your contribution in any amount, denomination, and transfer method. You may give via Patreon at www.patreon.com slash insightmyanmar, via PayPal at paypal.me slash insightmyanmar, or by credit card by going to insightmyanmar.org slash donation. In all cases, that's insightmyanmar one word, I-N-S-I-G-H-T m-y-a-n-m-a-r. You can also go on the GoFundMe site and search inside Myanmar to find our current campaign. If you are in the country and would like to give a cash donation, please feel free to get in touch with us. Next up, we have Ashin Damasada, a German monk who was studying at the International Theravada Buddhist Missionary University in Yangon at the time that the coronavirus hit. As he was not able to conduct an interview at the moment, he took time away from his remote monastery routine to read from an essay that he composed last month.
4: So while most of the world had been going wild for a few weeks, positive cases of the virus had not yet been confirmed in Myanmar, and life continued pretty much as normal. At the International Theravada Buddhist Missionary University, short ITBMU, where I studied in Yangon, we did have an emergency meeting about the virus at one point before exams but since there was no officially confirmed cases yet the board decided that we should remain and complete the exams and then afterwards think about what to do however a week into the exam period the first two positive cases in Myanmar were announced starting that very night people began panic buying wherever possible and several international schools closed the next day so too at ITBMU the very next day, during my samata exam, the dean came into the classroom and announced that the university would also close one day later, and all remaining exams would be cancelled. Then more information arrived soon after. All foreign students needed to return to their native countries by April 1st, or in case that there were no flights available or their country was under lockdown, they were required to stay at the university in strict self quarantine until the opportunity to leave arose. We were not allowed to go anywhere else in Myanmar. By that time, however, I had already been making plans with some monastic friends at Mahasi Sasana Yeda in Yangon to either join them there after my exams or together find another place to practice. So I talked to the Seado and explained that there was no point for me to go back to my native country, Germany because I did not live there anymore. Where would I even go there anyway? Plus, it would even be difficult for me to find food and shelter in Europe as a monk, as I had done in Myanmar for over two years. I said that Myanmar was now my country, my home. Besides, since the beginning of the outbreak, I had not worried too much about contracting the virus myself, since I am young and have no pre-existing medical conditions. In recognizing the apparent impossibility of containing the coronavirus in Myanmar, I had already accepted that if the virus came here, it would certainly spread, and I would simply get it, fall ill, recover, and be done with it. So I told the Seattle that I was resigned to contracting the coronavirus if it took root in Yango, since I didn't see any chance that it could be possibly contained here. He agreed to relieve himself of any responsibility for me and allowed me to leave the university to join my monastic friends. Now the situation at Mahasi Sasana was very different than at my university. For the previous month it had been on lockdown. No new foreigners nor locals were admitted, and at one point I could not even visit anymore during the day, as I typically did after my university classes finished. Nor could my friends leave the monastery even for a day trip inside Yangon. The monastery committee had begun instituting social distancing measures, along with checking the temperature of all yogis and monastics before lunch. If anyone showed symptoms such as coughing, sneezing or a running nose, they would be sent directly to the Wibhagi emergency hospital, which had been repurposed as a quarantine site. At one point, even workers and other monastery visitors were sprayed with disinfectant from head to foot as soon as they crossed through the gate. As I mentioned, at the university in contrast, no measures of any kind were being undertaken during that same period. The gates were wide open, anyone was welcome to come and go as pleased. There was no hand sanitizer or anything else provided. And even when it finally was set out at the dining hall entrance, it was not obligatory to use it. In my years living in Myanmar, I have come to know rural Burmese culture as well as its city life. Simple hygienic measures, such as washing one's hands with soap before handling food, covering one's mouth to cup, not sharing cutlery, dishes or cups with strangers, using fresh and clean water with suds for washing dishes, and a clean towel to dry them, etc. were just common sense to me as a European, but well, such precautions are rarely seen here. Then there are the public clay water pots, which are commonly set out for any passerby who wants to take a sip. On top of the pot there inevitably rests just a single metal cup, used to scoop out water and of course to put up to the mouth to drink from. These cups almost never get washed. It seems so strange to me when I first came here, that no one had introduced the idea of pouring the water from a certain height without touching the cup, like you see throughout India. I usually try to avoid drinking from these public water pots, but when it is the only way for me to get water, I at least try to wash the cup beforehand. However, there is usually a smeary film of filth that won't come off without scrubbing with a brush. One doesn't even want to think of all the beetle spit that must have mixed with the water after someone used the cup to rinse his mouth, touching it with red lips smeared with betel nut. So back to the coronavirus. If just one of the workers at the university caught it, within just a day all the other workers would get infected, because they are all using the same cup at the water station, and it is almost never washed. All the more reason I am surprised that all the government suggestions I have seen so far concerning hygiene, especially in this age of COVID-19, focus only on washing hands. No one seems to have addressed this larger problem of sharing drinking cups, a practice that is ubiquitous across the country and culture. The same holds true for the one and only bowl. This lack of awareness around basic hygiene unfortunately is not only present throughout regular society, but also at institutions which you think would actually be the experts in basic hygiene practices, by that I mean hospitals. Several times when visiting public general as well as private hospitals in Myanmar, nurses have put me at risk of infection while taking blood or giving a blood donation. I have observed them not following the simplest of protocols, such as keeping their hands and utensils away from unclean surfaces during the process of inserting and removing a needle. Once when I gave a blood donation, a nurse used scissors that were covered in dried blood from prior patients to cut the pipe, and then with the same hands reached for some cotton wool and wanted to remove the needle and put the contaminated cotton wool on my open wound. So to be clear, here in Myanmar I am much more fearful of being forcefully sent to a hospital than of getting the coronavirus. I, along with everyone else, am at risk of catching even more severe infections at the hospital than what I came there with in the first place. So all this had set me thinking. Initially, it might have seemed that the Mahasi monastery would be a safer bed than staying at the university. However, although the efforts the Mahasi Sasana Yeda is making to keep the virus out of its compound are impressive, praiseworthy, exemplary and possibly unprecedented in Myanmar. I simply did not want to be put at risk of being sent to the hospital due to a flu or running nose or even due to Covid-19 for that matter. And so my monastic brothers and I opted for trying to find a rural monastery where they would allow us to just nurse each other back to health should one of us fall ill, instead of waiting out the crisis in Yangon, either at the university or the Mahasi monastery. But it wasn't easy to find such a rural monastery at this time, when almost all the international meditation centers and monasteries in Myanmar had stopped accepting newcomers, especially foreigners, since the onset of the pandemic. Although the virus does not discriminate against nationality, certain xenophobia has recently taken place in Myanmar and the presence of foreigners in a local setting now sets off alarm bells. Locals are even required to report merely seeing foreigners in their community, otherwise they risk arrest. Moreover, the government has recently issued a ruling that monasteries were not allowed to take in any new guests at all, whether local or foreigners. So even though some Seattle's initially accepted my request to reside at their monasteries, when we inquired further and they checked with the local immigration authorities, they ultimately found that they unfortunately could not get permission to receive us. The country is closing. Then unexpectedly, one of the families near my university that supported me on my daily alms rounds, decided on their own initiative to help me. They located a place in the north of Yangon, They would be willing to take me right away. So we went and I spoke to the Seattle to request permission for my two western monastic brothers to come and stay as well. At first he was reluctant because he said there might not be enough space during the water festival meditation course when he was expecting 500 participants. He suggested my friends could join after one month once the water festival was over. Incredible! Living in this somewhat remote location, the Serdo did not yet grasp the severity of the situation, nor that the government of Myanmar had already announced the suspension of all festivities during this year's Dinjan. Yet in this case, it was to our benefit that he didn't know the severity of the situation, for otherwise he would probably not have accepted us in the first place. So after asking a second time, he said, that if we could not find another place, we were welcome there. On the condition that we took a daily alms walk since there might not be enough food otherwise. Happily we took this opportunity and on the very next day my friends arrived there. So now I am passing my time in a nice little forest monastery on a hill. Very quiet, away from the village, with greenery on all sides and the resident monks have been very kind and welcoming. We now stay in a simple room, the three of us together. The Seattle on the day we arrived told us we could stay for one month, but I am confident that by then the Seado will like us and allow us to stay longer. I feel a deep sense of gratitude for the unlimited generosity and untiring support of the Burmese, who adopted me as a foster son into their hearts, and who keep supporting us foreign monks through this health crisis while many around the world, including my family in Germany and Italy, are struggling. I was reflecting how people these days are touched by fear and are seeking a safe refuge, and I remembered from the Dhammapada that the real refuge is indeed the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Seeking refuge there one can see with true wisdom the four noble truths, suffering, its cause its passing and the Eightfold Noble Way leading to the tranquilizing of it and thus become free and safe from all suffering. So I find it really a precious and auspicious opportunity that we can stay together during this period as three Kalyanamittas, true Dhamma brothers and support each other in developing our practice as our true refuge. I wish everyone well And lastly, we have Biku
2: Mokita updating us on the charitable efforts of the Mudita Foundation in Kalaw, Shan State, Myanmar. If you'd like to make a charitable contribution or donation to the Mudita Foundation, please visit www.muditafoundation.de. Again, that's
5: www.muditafoundation.de. Uh, the Mudita Foundation. Is an NGO uh, founded in Germany in 2016. And uh, we have two projects in Myanmar. One is a school in Sagain Hills. Um, there are over 3,000 children. And we're just supporting there with teaching English and um, running the, the clinic there. And then a caretaker program taking care of the little ones there. And we have around 10 volunteers there and a management team of three uh, three managers and the main project that we are the Morita Foundation is running is here on the Inle Lake um, that's in the Shun Hills uh, mountain um, and we have here a school with 250 children and um, management team of over 50 people I'll be 20 um, employees and then uh, over 30 uh, volunteers and we're uh, running the school the running the monastic education school and uh, we um, have a normal normal government schools normal government school just with a monastic um, component together so that the children's coming from a um, poor area of uh, uh, of Myanmar. It's mostly ethnic groups, Shan and Karen, and um, other ethnic minorities. And so they're either orphans or children from um, poor families. And we're giving them a new home here, um, giving them medical support, they get food, accommodation, and they get education. And this school uh, we're running here since 2018. And um, it's not only a monastic school, but it's also an eco project. So we're having our own eco farm, we have our um, building, our own eco buildings with mud bricks and bamboo. And we're also started um, a meditation center where currently we're building this just a second hut. So uh, there's a monk living out there we have regular meditators coming doing retreats so it's a, a place for volunteers to come in um, to do some meditation um, and doing yoga uh, tai chi all different kind of uh, spiritual practices we've been giving dhamma talks especially on a daily basis, and uh, meditation retreats are running just at a beginning uh, state for that and mainly we are supporting the children we're running the farm and teaching the, uh, in the school here there's the school um, called Taengu and it's a monastic education school these are is it, uh, the schools and and Myanmar there are around 1500 monastic education schools the base of them are um, a monast- a monastery and they also have a government school included in, in these schools. Most of these schools are where the children are living directly in it, like in an orphanage, like a boarding school. And um, here also, the children, most of the children are, are living here and get supported. And um, most of the children are also ordained, especially the, the boys are all novices, except just a few, maybe like five to 10 percent are uh, lay children. The rest are. Are monastics, novices or nuns—we call them here sialis. The children have a basic monastic training here. They um, have stand up early in the morning, uh, four o'clock, four thirty, and then they have uh, their chanting. They do a chanting and they do a short meditation period every morning. And They do um, go on pindapata. That means they go on arms round They're collecting their their arms food about an hour one and a half in the morning and they have their regular duties um, like cleaning up and They're eating out of the arms bowls and of course they're wearing the robes um, so there is some uh, monastic training here, but that's very little I would say like about 10 20% of the day is just for their um, about their monastic training and most of it is they're just being students being normal kids also playing football doing other activities um, playing with their with their friends so Mostly they're just being like normal kids living here, but they have some monastic framework when the coronavirus hit uh, Myanmar then uh, as i as i see from the numbers of infected people and numbers of of deaths we are uh, luckily not being hit hit too hard um like in you can see this in other countries in europe or in usa um so that's Mm -hmm. dueing to um they also don't collect here uh, don't they do too many tests in myanmar that's one of the reasons so we don't Mm -hmm. really know the real the, the real high numbers but um, we don't see masses of people in the hospital. So there is um, good grounds for that uh, the virus isn't so strongly spread in, in Myanmar. And I see that uh, in our school um, that we also had a quite good situation um, for when the virus um, spreading started. That was about end of the school year when the children are um, anyway going for their summer break, so we have a summer break uh, of um, two months to three three months. it's in in April when they're when they're leaving, and they're returning in June normally. Now there's the school opening has been pushed back, most be most probably July. Um, so when normally um, we had to um, to, s- to send the children home when. Uh, when the Corona virus started, but they went already home because the school was closed. And this is also a time um, where there is the Myanmar New Year in April, and it's a very hot time in, in Myanmar. So during the hot season and around the New Year's time, anyway, Myanmar goes in a, a standby mode. So people staying at home, uh, it's a holiday kind of atmosphere, it's too hot, too dry to go on the farm to do many things so i i think for this situation anyway we was um we didn't have much of volunteers here because we closed the project uh we only have a couple of children here and a few few teachers Uh, volunteers normally are 35 before now we um, have only 15 volunteers who maintaining the the garden eco farm and make making new classrooms new buildings we're working on but we don't have children here at the moment, hardly any children. So in that regard, with it doesn't have kids here in the school, so so hard um, because we are we are just don't have too many children. That's uh, one situation. Uh, what what actually we, we are affected uh, in in our village where was just surrounded by the monastery because uh, in the Indi Lake area where we are. There is um, the hotspot for tourism, so they have um, the the most, the highest touristic area in Myanmar is here on the Inle Lake. So everything is around on the on the tourists. Now at this time there is no tourists coming in, um, so all the hotels um, are running out of business, all the shops had to close, like everywhere in the world. We have business travel and. Uh, small businesses need to shut down. And here's the same, just the people, um, they're normally working in construction or in the hotel, um, even cleaners, or they all lost their jobs. So they have a difficult situation. They don't have any financial resources, some savings where they, uh, what we see in the West, people can build up on those here people just living in the hand and the mouth so to say um they're getting daily dollars um, for for their daily rate on their work and the next day they would not, not have much more savings to survive so when they're all finishing for their for their jobs or many of them then they had difficult situation for them to sustain themselves and their families so we did run a fund and uh, we have about uh, 100 families here in our village 400 people and uh, we're the fundraiser collected donations uh, from all over the world and then we are bought uh, materials food package um, of rice and oil and soybeans and potatoes so that they can sustain their life we are running also other projects building activities here in the monastery so we're employing more people from the village that they have some work and, and earning some money so that's our main focus at the moment is to support uh, the village uh, because the children are at the home and on their, on their families other than this we don't have too much of and, and get not too much infected uh, or affected by the uh, virus, only that we are in the shutdown, we are um, closed, everything is closed uh, for the, the last six weeks or so, we are just staying here, what we have a large area, large compound with forest and the mountain area just next to us, uh, we have our eco farm, so um, situation is not too bad to staying here in the monastery for us, we're just focusing on building classrooms and keep the monastery running of the school children coming back and then um, regarding the um the meditators i think that this podcast also for meditators interested so what we're using it also with the community here about 14 volunteers are here we're doing um more meditations more um different meditation techniques are offered we have um yoga offered uh, i'm giving a, a dhamma seminar where we are and talk about the, the basic knowledge of um, buddhist knowledge about the a four noble path four noble truth five hindrances and so on just the basic the basics to, for the volunteers for, for them to know so they can grow in the dhamma and the theory and and the practice and wow. uh, so we have nice community activities uh, going on during the time uh, we're also giving course of permaculture so we have having permaculture farm and they're also going more into the theory backgrounds and then applying those changes um, directly on our farm. So we're basically building building up on the knowledge and building up on the, the buildings, classrooms, accommodations uh, for children and volunteers, keep maintaining the, the monastery and building up. That's what we're doing at the moment. What we're seeing here. When we are, when we went in the village, and uh, when we did a, we did a survey uh, when we went in the village to collect the information to uh, see how we can help the villagers best through the fundraiser, to to find out what's what's their needs. And um, by that time, uh, people uh, here, the volunteers in here, um, they could see how things are going, how simple uh, are, the villagers living in their small huts, and what um, life-threatening situation um, they are facing, and also with with sickness. And uh, we had also uh, the last months some uh, some deaths not directly connected with uh, Corona, but. Uh, for old people, sick people, and um, novice also died from um, from some infections. So there, we, are, we had situations here where all members of the community could reflect on um, the dukkha that's here in the world, the, um, simple situation that the villagers living in, and they've been grateful for their situation and things that we are might Explaining something about our situation that is being put in perspective by seeing these hard realities of, of so these naturally get incorporated and when we're meditating um, then we're practicing meta meditation, focusing on those sending it out for, for other people in the world or all over, for people suffering in the world, so we are integrating it into the meditation we are integrating it um, also, in the, in the Dhamma discourses, um, we're just looking at the situation, opposite it in the world and the situation, what we're doing and spreading matter. But in general, we're, we don't see that um, suffering just around us here regarding directly from thinking for the virus so much. We had the situation in the, uh, in the village here and in, in town. Uh, cause more, the, the hotels and the shops are shut down, and people with the mask and with the, with gloves around. But I think, um, as we see it, as I hear in in the West, uh, from my parents and other friends uh, in, in in Europe, there is much more sense of panic going around, and people afraid of of dying or sick, then it's here. So this is also something that we can um we can learn, we can see from the Dhamma that people are taking it much more um much more easy, much more light. They say, I'm taking care, we are closed down the village. Nobody's allowed to go out of the village or you know, quarantine period. So we we do the measures, but people don't panic as much because they're accepting these situations in life. If I die, then I'm dying. Dying is part of our life. And we can see this um, attitude of people in the village, in our village and not generally in Myanmar. And this is also a teaching by itself and accepting Dukkha, accepting that we're, we have to die at a, at a point and not need to panic for, for that situation. I do see some positive aspects of this Corona uh, situation, Corona crisis in the world. Uh, one, one is that um, this uh, the virus is not uh, selective and it doesn't um, only in, infect a certain group of people. That, um, here in Myanmar we can see that uh, certain races are um, only more affected than others. Or um certain social classes we see that the virus is here in Myanmar and basically everywhere in the world is threatening the life of everyone so we're all sitting in one boat that's something what we're realizing here that's a it's a global crisis we never have seen in the world so far um all over and we we see that in a sense that brings people also closer together so we're uh, seeing this here in the village we are all looking out for each other Um, when we're before we are taken here the murita foundation take care of the children and mainly focusing here on our monastery to build this up of course we are um, working with the villagers together we are employing them we are teaching their children Um, we also have a clinic running here where they can come be treated uh, but we didn't have so much close contact um, to the villagers before. Uh, with this corona crisis, it brought us more closer together and really looking out for the villagers and seeing what are their needs and how was their life situation. I can see that our situation and see this also in other places in the world, uh, people getting closer together and watching out for each other. This is one... Um, one benefit. Maybe not everywhere the same, this case, but uh, certainly I've seen that here in other places. And the the second benefit um, is also something I can see from from myself. I've been, um, there's not too many people in our organization who are um, managing um, in the West with the donors, uh, with other schools. We are having cooperation with other uh, schools in Germany and switzerland um having online classes um we have our scholarship students going into so we send them into the world um we are having international volunteers international donor groups so there's it's very very busy um the, the times here and mainly i'm organizing this and also go over to germany and give the talks and um giving the uh, seminars also in Germany, the meditation courses. So here in Myanmar and Germany, it's been always um, very busy for me the last years. And I don't really, I was looking for a period where I can press the stop button and just have a few few weeks of of things going a bit more down. And it kind of the Corona crisis with the lockdown has brought um, this situation, not only to me, but to many, many people all over the world, um, that we are, we are forced to stop and we have more time for our families, for the community and time to meditate and time to focusing on the important things of life. Um, that sometimes is even blamed when I, I see that for having a like a romantic idea about uh, this the Corona crisis. Um, of course, there's a lot of suffering going around. I see this everywhere in the world, and people they just open their restaurant or their business and then they have to stop everything and their businesses um, need to close down and they're losing their existence and losing a lot of money. Of course, this is not that romantic. They're having difficulties. But luckily here in our and situation for me and from other friends as well, um, they, um, there has been benefits of slowing down, getting um, more contemplation and have more time for family, friends, and meditation and other things like that. So that I I could see that the benefits also from our volunteers staying here that we are having time to focus on the Dhamma seminars and yoga classes and other things where we otherwise wouldn't have this this time for. So that's something um, I can see. I think that's that's about. Um, I think there was but. A good last last sentence what i what i had before no? so the, these two end with these two um, positive aspects that um, in life we have difficult uh situations and we are all all facing them especially with the corona crisis with we're, we're sitting all in, in one and uh, we need to face them all so that's uh, that's our situation um but we also should look out for the Positive aspects of those this situation and make the best out of it. So, more than um, getting over this period of by now, so panicking, panicking uh, and worries doesn't make things better. And um, some people say, oh, well, when you're taking things more easy, um, for it, then you're not worrying enough. Global crisis, come on, you gotta worry. More looking for that. And I think that's not the right um, attitude towards this situation and anywhere, anywhere in crisis into the world. Suffering always being part of life. That's samsara. That's what we know from Buddhism, where we're facing it one way or the other. And by accepting it, that's a part of life. Um, And then, second, reflecting about what. What can I do with this situation and the best how to make it better? Not just to accept it and then just sitting and don't do anything. Um, it's not the right attitude. But we are looking out how we can help each other, how we can um, um, get, get things better. But on the other hand, also take the, the things out of this, like having more time for ourselves, for the family, for meditation.
0: And now, a message about these special coronavirus episodes. First, a caveat about our current podcasts that are being produced during this expanding global pandemic. In this new age of social distancing, face-to-face interviews are of course no longer possible. An obvious consequence of this is technical. None of the guests we interview have access to a professional recording studio. Indeed, as some are living remotely in the Burmese countryside, they have little more than their phone's microphone to record and send messages. Our expert sound engineers have done their best to improve and enhance the quality, but there is a limit even to their magic. In a time when major network programs resort to home-recorded and mailed-in content, we are also trying to adjust to these new rules and limitations. So while we apologize for any difficulty you may experience as you listen to these episodes, we appreciate your understanding of the challenges we face in producing them. On another note, please keep in mind that the interviews on this episode were recorded at some time in the past, maybe just a few days to perhaps even more than a month ago. As a result, some of the factual details conveyed in these interviews may be outdated by the time you hear it. We hope you find some light and wisdom in the voices that follow. We're greatly appreciative for the time that all the guests generously provided to share their words and perspective. We wish all our listeners to stay safe and mentally sound and use this challenging experience to grow in Dhamma. We'd like to take this time to thank our generous supporters who have already given. We simply could not continue to provide you with this content and information without the wonderful support and generous donors, listeners, and friends like you. Because these episodes are fully funded by listeners without your generosity, and particularly the meta behind such generosity, we wouldn't be able to continue producing these podcasts. So we'd like to thank you upfront for your continued support. We welcome both one-time donations and monthly pledges, whether large donations of $100 or more or smaller ones, $10, $5, even $1. Every donation of any size is greatly appreciated. It would mean so much to us, of course, but we hope to you as well to help us make merit by providing access to the voices of our Dhamma community from every aspect of Myanmar and to more and more listeners like you. Every meritorious donation helps towards access to one more voice, one more perspective. We greatly appreciate your generosity, and of course, we share our merits with all of you. Thank you. If you find the Dhamma interviews, we are sharing of value and would like to support our mission. We welcome your contribution. You may give via Patreon at www.patreon.com insightmyanmar, as well as via PayPal at www.paypal.me Insight Myanmar. In both cases, that's one word, Insight Myanmar, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-M-Y-A-N-M-A-R. If you are in Myanmar and would like to give a cash donation, please feel free to get in touch with us.